How's it going? Welcome to Dirty Real Estate Show, where we provide bite-sized actionable tips and hacks along with interviews of industry experts to help you elevate your land investment journey. My name is Eric Cole. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Marshall. Let's go. Subdividing is such a hot topic right now, right? In the land space. Yeah, you know, it seems like um, it's certainly over the last probably year or two, it's become very, very popular. And I think probably in large part because people are looking to find ways to diversify. People are looking for ways to make maybe more money out of their deals. But then also, I think, too, there's a, a recognition that there's maybe, you know, more competition in the land space or at least a perception mm-hmm. of that. Right. And so I think that's kind of pushed um, some people into this space where they're looking for different approaches. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of it. For us, like, what we talk about here is how do you do value? I hear this a lot you know, in the housing space, right? You can only have the property and you have the price and blah, blah, blah. How do you do it for land, right? That's the best question that we know about How do you value add it? And one of the value, the value add strategies would be subdividing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's just the concept that, you know, say you go to Costco and you buy, you know, 24 pack of whatever drink and you go and you sell it, you know, you know, piece by piece at the kids, you know, like Little League game or something like that. And you're making that money in between. So, you know, on a dollar per acre basis, you know, in general, in most markets, you're able to, you know, get more on a dollar per acre basis, the smaller of the lot size that you go to. So, you know, if you're looking at the situation where you're looking at going from 100 acres down to five acre pieces, that delta, that difference in between is where you're making your money and you're selling the same amount of acreage. But ultimately, on a price per acre basis, it's selling for more on a price per acre on the small lot versus the big lot. And that's where you're making your money. Well, the question, though, is like, why? Why is that? Like, why do you think that is the small? It's a good question. Worth more. I think maybe in some cases it's because um, it's a demand side of things. I think ultimately, yeah, you know, like there's people, people have a greater demand for a one acre lot versus a 10 acre or a hundred acre lot because they perceive as though they get a one acre lot. That's pr- some pretty decent land in most areas. Right. And they can build a house on it and they have a little bit of land and everything like that. So there's more demand for that because even still at a higher dollar per acre price, you're still paying less dollars for that one acre piece than you would be for that, you know, 10 acre, hundred acre piece. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So say if that hundred acre piece is going for $200,000, you break down these fives, it's going to be still less than the $200,000 for the five acre piece, but on a dollar per acre basis, it's going to be more. So for the subdivider, it makes a lot of sense. Right. And I guess they're thinking from a more consumer mindset than an investor mindset, right? Because, you know, they just want to build a nice custom home for the dream home, right? And uh, yeah, that makes total sense. So what makes a good market though for subdivision deals, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to, from looking at it from an investor's point of view, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, a few things. You know, you want to be able to always make sure that there is demand for the product that you're creating, right? So there's no point going out there and subdividing land if you're just gonna subdivide it to subdivide it. If there's no demand or no demonstrated demand, then really what's the point? 
Um, so ultimately you got to make sure that there's demand. And I think there's a few things you can do for that. And one is I always talk about job growth as being a, a real big indicator. Um, also, um, days on market, even though, you know, days on market being attributed to housing, it still has a direct impact for subdividable land because ultimately that lot that you're creating is more than likely going to be a lot that is for a build site of some kind. Now I know that there's you know, the right. recreational lots. Yeah. More often than not, it'll be residential, but there is the recreational land subdivisions. Those are definitely out there and those definitely profitable too. So whichever way you go, whether it be recreational or residential, you have to be able to identify demand or quantify demand. It just is the fact that there's more data out there for residential property. And so it's a little bit easier to quantify the days on market when you look at that. Right. And so I think that's the first thing is really verifying demand. Yeah, no, for sure. And especially so you get the job growth. Um, yeah, what is that? People migration, right? You know, it just depends mm -hmm. on on that. And how about like as far as the zoning and all that kind of stuff? I think that matters a lot too, right? Right. So then you're talking about like the regulations themselves. And so it's a matter of, okay, well, what, what areas have the most favorable regulations? And um, realizing that, you know, you can do subdivisions in any market. But when we talk about what's favorable or what does favorable mean, Favorable means faster, cheaper, with less red, red tape, ultimately. That's what you're looking right. at. So less of a process, less money, less time. And so, you know, out of all 50 states, there's about 16 or 17 of those states that have very favorable regulations that have um, exceptions to certain requirements that make it easy where you just basically need a surveyor that creates a legal description and records it at the county. And it's really simple and straightforward. Um, right. Other types of subdivisions are a little bit more involved. And so when you start looking at it um, from an analysis point of view, theoretically, if you want to go for the path of least resistance, you really want to focus on those areas that have those exceptions to that, that rule um, that make it that much easier. Now, it's not a requirement, but if you're trying to go the path of least resistance, that's what you want to look for. Right, right. That makes total sense. And then also when you subdivide too, right, that kind of density. Yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, so like when you look at, so you can look at the market, right? So what makes a good market? You know, we're talking about job growth. We're talking about the subdivision regulations. If you wanted to look at another factor, you could look at like even housing shortages, those markets throughout the country that have a housing shortage and like the National Association of Realtors has information on that. But but when you start looking at the property itself or the parcel itself, and you're talking about density, then yeah, that's become another interesting point of view too. And that comes down a lot of times to zoning, for example. And so, you know, when you talk about like favorable regulations and kind of density, density is like how many dwelling units or how many lots you can actually get on a parent parcel. So when we talk about subdivisions, we talk about parent parcels, the larger parcel versus the child parcel, the one that you're creating. And if you're in, if you're in a certain zoning designations that have rules that allow for more units per acre or more lots per acre, then that's much more favorable because now you're able to um, actually break those down to smaller lots. You're able to create more density and therefore you're making more money for the builders and therefore you're able to sell your property for more money to those builders. And so the density quotient does become an important part of it down the line too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, what I was going to say is that 
also kind of look at the the new construction, like builders, right? You know, building permits and things like that. And I know, like right now, there's a slowdown uh, of all that. Um, constructions has been kind of uh, kind of decreasing a little bit, you know, because the last the high interest rates and things like that. But I think it's normal. I, I don't think, you know, I, I think it's still a good indicator to look at um, as far as like, you know, where is a good market for subdivision because there are still smaller builders building. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so if you look at those, now it, it just kind of comes down to what your your niche is, right? What type of subdivisions? If you're subdividing for a, I don't know, like just couple, like a really small subdivisions where, you know, you want to target like local builders versus like a national builders, then there's a different, different approach, you know? And so it just kind of yeah, comes down absolutely. to that when it comes to the, um, when it comes to builders to look for. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things and most of the time it's, kind of somewhat common sense right you know if you're gonna subdivide a lot you know you can go off kind of like what you said before like the comps you know the child lot the parent lot compared to the child lot what is the price difference uh, per acre and you just kind of do the math and if it makes sense if there's a demand for it right um, demand could come from either the consumer side or demand can come from um, the builder side as well right yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a good point because you kind of have two potential, you know, customers in essence, you know, you have the, um, the home builders themselves, you know, um, and so if you're creating more lots, you know, you might be able to sell all of them at one shot or you have, you know, mom and pop, you know, home builder that eventually one day wants to build on their property, you know, and so they're two different, two different um, customers, essentially, you know, and being aware of kind of who your target is, is actually important down the line, too. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that regulations has a big part of it. Job growth has a big part of it, um, you know, and then really looking at like, again, verifying demand is, is a huge part of it as well in terms of seeing which markets are, are the most favorable. But you can look at those. There's a lot of data out there. Again, I, I'm a big advocate for the residential stuff only for the fact of um, just the data that's available, you know. Um, but, you know, there are people that are very successful at doing the recreational land stuff subdivisions, too. And that's not to be um, ignored either. No, for sure. Yeah, no, it's extremely important. And I think it really just kind of comes down to your niche, um, you know, what what you want. Because we always talk about, like, you know, it's focus on the end buyer, the end user, right? And, you know, if you want to target builders, like small local builders, then you have to find a market that allows you to have those type of opportunities. Um, you know, if you want to target the big national builders, then you got to kind of know where they're going. And the chances of that, um, you know, they're, you got to understand too, right? Kind of going back to what you're saying, you know, like, mm -hmm. what is the least like fiction that, um, what is the easiest route to to kind of get into? Because at the end of the day, we are trying to provide value, but also profit from it. So it, it really just kind of comes down to that, in my opinion, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. It does. You know, I mean, yeah, so it's your approach and, and what your preference is and what your comfort level is and, you know, maybe what your experience is. You know, if you've been doing, you know, rural vacant land, you know, and doing subdivisions for the recreational buyers, a real easy transition, you know? 
Um, there's no doubt that once you go to buildable lots that there's more to look at in terms of due diligence and everything. But the flip side of that is, is that there's more quantifiable demand um, in a lot of cases. And so I think that's something that's significantly considered. Um, but again, I just come from one one background that's probably a little right. biased in that sense. Um, yeah. But again, I know that there are people that are doing rec land that do really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we uh, we cover everything for this episode. Um, I I think it's pretty valuable information we cover. I think. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I just hope think that, so. That the markets are going to shift. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. markets are going to change over time. You know what I mean? So what's good today may not be good tomorrow. You know, and um, right. And uh, you just got to kind of be on top of some of these factors that we're looking at. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. Until next time. Take care, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, there's a lot of value in this, and I hope you can take these actionable items and apply it to your real estate land investment business. Uh, if you feel like we brought some value to you, please leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This will allow the algorithm to kind of push a podcast up higher and get more reach so that we can help more people. And also share with your friends, you know, your investor friends or whoever are kind of in that investing space. Uh, until next time, have a good one.